0: Awesome. It's so good to see you. Welcome back. Uh, For those of you that have already uh, went through our first course of Sunday School with us that we did on reading and interpreting the Bible, and now we're into our second course on eschatology. And what we're going to do is a lot of what we learned and a lot of what we talked about in uh, in, uh, the first course of reading and interpreting the Bible, we're going to start applying and uh, start looking at passages contextually and really what it has to say around the idea of eschatology. And so if you are new and you weren't able to join us for the last class, maybe there's some phrases we use, some terminology we use, um, or maybe how we're approaching certain scriptures is new uh, to you in this way. I would encourage you to go back and rewatch watch uh, each of the lessons. Uh, specifically, um, lesson number one and then also the last lesson, week eight on Revelation, uh, that will help give us some, uh, a good little working framework for how we're going to approach uh, this topic of eschatology. What's really cool is I know that we have uh, many people that are a part of the class but aren't able to uh, attend every week. Or if you miss a week on Tuesdays, we upload the video and the audio online at coeg.com slash School. The videos are on YouTube, also podcasts. But about two weeks ago, I got a, uh, a message on Instagram from a guy named Mitch. And Mitch uh, is a pastor in New Zealand that said, man, he's been devouring uh, the Sunday school uh, stuff and loved the first course so hey Mitch, it's good to see you if you're watching again and uh, so it's pretty cool to see how the Lord is is just using this so let's go ahead and let's pray let's dive in uh, and get in going tonight. Father, we love you, we thank you for this evening. God I thank you for uh, the ability to come, Lord to learn together to grow together to uh, God to, to dive into your word, but also God the theology. Uh, In the ways that we understand uh, how you've revealed yourself to us. So, Lord, I pray uh, your blessing on tonight. I pray your blessing on this course. I pray that we will uh, have open hearts, open minds, and, God, that we will grow as your Spirit leads us. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Amen. Hey, when I um, say uh, the word eschatology, what comes to mind? And you just throw something out. And you may go, I don't, I don't know anything about eschatology. but um, uh, So in times. Okay, yeah, that's good. In times. What else? Judgment. What else? Death. Maybe hell. Maybe even heaven, right? life? Maybe one or two others. Say it again. Final disposition of mankind. Yeah, finality. Give me one more. Daniel, Revelation. Daniel, Revelation. That's great. Daniel, Revelation, an um, apocalyptic literature, which is kind of what we talked about in week one of reading and interpreting the Bible. So, for me, um, the only thing growing up when I ever heard the phrase end times, and some people might uh, be relatable with me is, oh man, uh, I do not want to be left behind, right? Anybody uh, like scared bejeebers. I remember walking out uh, into the living room and my dad's shoes were by the couch, you know? And, 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 uh, and I'm like, well, hopefully his pants aren't there too, you know, and his shirt. And, uh, my, my dad has this story that when he was growing up, uh, he would, uh, uh I guess there were times where, I guess everybody in his house would just disappear. I don't know why they would <laughs> just disappear. Um, but he would go to his landline and, you know, one of the phones, the circular phones where you, you raise it all the way over and he had the deacon's phone, home phone number memorized. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go to the phone. I'm going to dial uh, the deacon's number. And if the deacon answered the phone, he'd hang up and be like, okay, I'm safe. Uh, and it was before caller ID. And, uh, and, and so I mean, maybe you have some, uh, some stories kind of like that as well. But I, I want us to see, um, for week one, I want to lay a groundwork for eschatology. And when we're talking about eschatology, I want us to see this. that Eschatology is the story of salvation coming into fruition. That when we're talking about eschatology, yes, it applies to judgment. Yes, it applies to death. Yes, it applies to hell and heaven and finality. But we we need to understand that eschatology is all about salvation. It's the consummation of all things. And when I say consummation, I mean fulfillment. And eschatology is the story of salvation coming into fulfillment. But but even, even simpler than that, eschatology is salvation in history. In theology, uh, the term eschatology is used to refer to the study of the last things. And so we use this word um, eschatology to mean, it, it means last things. And there's this other word, um, and it pertains to salvation. And this is just a big th- uh, theology um, a theology word, I'm going to, I don't want to misspell it for you, is soteriology. So like eschatology is the theology around the last things, soteriology is the theology around salvation. And, and often we can think of eschatology as something that doesn't really relate to us because it's beyond us. It's beyond our life. Like maybe uh, maybe what what pertains to us in eschatology is Jesus returning. Um, but then beyond that, it doesn't really affect us, and and then we think of salvation as something that happens simply in our past. We use phrases and we say things like "I was saved," right? We've all uh, I, "I got saved," and and so this oftentimes salvation is seen as something behind us, and eschatology is seen as something in front of us. But I want us to see that that eschatology is. Soteriology and soteriology is eschatology, that they actually are one uh, together uh, this uh, theologian his name is Matthew K. Thompson. he says that, that eschatology is soteriology, because eschatology is directly connected to soteriology, directly connected to salvation. Now, there's so much information online, on YouTube, where have you, on the subject of the last things. Um, there's so much around, so much that has built up, and a lot of it if we are willing to admit it, is a lot of skepticism of, well, maybe this is this, and maybe this is this, and maybe this is that. And my goal is that we will be people that move from being people of skepticism to being people of the Spirit. Because as believers, we're not guided by skepticism, but we are guided by the Spirit of truth. We're not guided by conspiracy theories, but rather the spirit, and the scripture. So we're gonna talk over the next six weeks on, on the things that maybe are, can seem skeptical at times, or uh, maybe people have some weird views about death in heaven. Like uh, one of the most popular views that I think is just wildly heretical in, uh, in predominant mainline Christianity, I mean, not mainline Christianity, but uh, somebody says they're a Christian and what they believe is that when we die, we become angels, uh, well that's not true we don't die and become angels we uh die and one day we'll be resurrected and be be even more human than we are right now and um and so when you get into funerals you deal with a lot of people's weird beliefs about what happens when we die what happens uh at the last things that we just die and then we live in heaven for the rest of our life but that is it we die and go to heaven well that's also just not the truth of what the scripture says. And, and so we want to approach and move from people that are skeptical about these things to being people that are full of the spirit. So we're going to talk through things like, man, what happens when we die? When will Jesus return? What does What is the mark of the beast, right? And we're going to focus on the topic of eschatology, but we want to look at the whole countenance of the scripture rather than just simply looking at the apocalyptic texts. The apocalyptic texts are very important. But the majority of eschatology in Scripture is not found here. And something we learned in reading and interpreting the Scripture is that we want to make sure the clear things help us interpret the confusing things. And so we're going to even look tonight at some really clear passages, some really clear things. And often when we say eschatology, our first thing is to go, okay, this is a class on revelation. This is not a class on revelation. This is a class on eschatology. We will talk about revelation because revelation applies to eschatology, but it is not the whole gambit of eschatology. That Jesus talks about his return uh, before John, the revelator, talks about his return. That Paul writes about it and encourages. that the, One of the first uh, letters that Paul ever writes is the book of 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians is an admonition of them to, to be eager and alert for the return of Christ. And so we're going to look at uh, what Scripture has in the whole countenance of, of Scripture. We we have we have clear teachings on eschatology that will help us understand sometimes the more cryptic texts of eschatology and and even uh, as I was preparing the notes it wasn't intentional or anything like that but as I'm trying to give us a baseline for understanding the last things I found it really interesting I actually don't even reference um, I don't have a scripture from Revelation for us tonight because it's not necessarily the foundation of where we're headed in the topic of eschatology. Because Paul, he's clear in his eschatology, he's clear in the eschatology of the early church, and so we'll be looking at the variety of eschatological texts. So let's start and with this question, what is eschatology? Now we've kind of hit on it uh, just a moment, but Eschatology, it, it comes from a, uh, a Greek word, ta eschata. So you can see uh, the Greek word there, which means the last things. And it's often used to refer to the Christian expectations of resurrection and judgment. Eschatology is an essence the discourse about the end and discussing the end. And that's what we'll be talking about a lot uh, in the next uh, five weeks after tonight is is what is the end? But I want to make a quick distinction for us to understand what eschatology is. We first have to understand what eschatology is not. I want to make a little distinction between eschatology and apocalyptic. Now, if you were in uh, our last uh, Sunday school, week eight, as we talked about specifically the book of Revelation, you'll, 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 you'll know this, that eschatology is the theology of the last things. It is, it is the doctrine, it is the understanding of what is happening of uh, the resurrection of the dead of heaven of hell but then we've got this word apocalyptic in apocalyptic we uh, we studied and we understood the apocalyptic refers not to eschatology but actually to a literary genre specifically books like daniel in Revelation, a literary genre that was uh, very popular from the time of about 200 BC to 200 AD. And so we want to make a quick distinction. Some apocalyptic literature is eschatology. Not all apocalyptic literature is eschatology. And, but, but all eschatology is not always apocalyptic. We're going to see where Paul's writing in his letters very clearly about what's going to happen in the end. And we're going we're to read actually a lot of scripture as we kind of lay out a good working framework of kind of what's, what's, uh, what, what, what's kind of happening. See, the question of eschatology is really a question about salvation. What is going, how are we going to be saved? How is God going to save the world? It's important for us to look at what we talked about in the last course, the meta-narrative of scripture. Anybody remember if you were with the, some of the last class? Uh, do you remember what a meta narrative is? I know he's like, hold on, hold, we, we're responding, Jolie. Yeah, no, you're good. No, no wrong answers. Yeah, so uh, she said when one story, or when a bunch of stories are pointing to one story, very, very, very close. In essence, you have all these stories, but it is the overarching story that is being told. That all of these individual stories are going into the meta-narrative. But the meta-narrative is kind of what is guiding these individual stories. So when we look at Scripture, often what happens is uh, we spend, anybody do like a, a daily reading plan or something like that in scripture, you, you, you have where you're, you're reading a, a chapter, right? And these are great for devotional uses. I, I do daily reading plans, but um, I, I want to refer to that as us reading the leaves on the tree. What I do, uh, and some of you guys have joined me uh, in January, is each January I try to do what, what we call a 30-day shred which is we spend 30 days and we try to read the entire Bible in 30 days. The goal is not to to comprehend it all. The goal is to take a step back and to stop looking at the leaves for a moment and see this beautiful tree that God has painted and God is building and God has planted. And what happens oftentimes is we can get so focused on these small readings of the leaves, that we miss out on what the actual tree looks like. When the tree, in order for us to understand the leaf, we have to understand its place amongst the entire tree. That in order for us to understand uh, even these individual chapters at times, we have to understand the meta-narrative of what God is saying. So a meta-narrative is a, uh, an overarching story or storyline that gives context, meaning and purpose to the rest of the stories being told. A meta-narrative is the big picture, the all-encompassing theme that unites smaller themes and individual stories. So before We simply focus on a specific part of the story at the end. Let's look at the overarching story that God has written and is writing to help us get perspective as we approach the story, the idea, the theology of eschatology. St. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, uh, often you're going to hear me refer to the early church fathers a lot. Uh, the St. Irenaeus, he saw the divine redemption plan or the divine meta-narrative as this. He saw it as creation, incarnation, and recreation. and you have my beautiful daughter's a little uh, a with a heart right here. <laughs> and so St. Irenaeus in 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 the late 100s AD said that this, the 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 story of God's redemptive plan is summed up in creation, in incarnation, and in recreation. Howard Snyder insists that we've become so preoccupied in our modern context with having a biblical worldview that we have neglected the biblical world story. I find that really interesting. And we're not here to say, we're not knocking the idea of what does the Bible say about specific, specific things, but sometimes we get so focused on, on, on the leaves that we miss out on the story story that is being written and the biblical world story I submit to you is about salvation that the meta narrative of scripture if you will is salvation that god created the world in peace and he is taking us there again. There was creation, there was incarnation, and there will be recreation. So the question of eschatology is really a question of salvation. Where is God taking us? Where does the story go? Because eschatology, if we understand it appropriately, cannot be detached from soteriology. In fact, I would agree with what Matthew Thompson says that eschatology is soteriology. So now we kind of have an idea of why or what Got ahead of myself. Now, let's just ask the question, why? Why eschatology? Why has God chosen to work his plan of salvation out in history, in time? Why has God chosen to do it and given state uh, things and a hope for a future where an end is present because God cares about the salvation of all of his creation. God cares for the salvation of everything that he created. And eschatology is the history in which salvation is being played out. That God is going to return is going to establish his kingdom, It's going to reign on this earth. And as then we see in the beautiful picture of Revelation 22 with Jerusalem descending in onto the earth and there is now no more divide between heaven and earth but a beautiful redemption plan of salvation. There's a phrase you're going to hear me talk a lot about in the next six weeks. And we're going to kind of lay a groundwork for it tonight. So we have a common uh, language. And you're going to hear me talk about this a lot, the already and the not yet. But I want us to see that salvation is not simply something that has happened to us in the past. It's not just something I got saved or I I was saved, but it is something that is happening to us in the present. And salvation is also something that is happening to us in the future. And oftentimes what happens in our modern evangelicalism is in order to save more souls we simplify a message and which which is great but the problem with that is then we get a simple message instead of a whole message and the whole message is god didn't just jesus didn't just come to save our souls it's so much bigger than that Eschatology is so much more beautiful than getting souls out of our body and into a disembodied heaven. In fact, that's not even the message of the Christian church at all. That's the message of Gnosticism. That's the message of the early church heretics is that this body is terrible and the whole thing is to get into this enlightened state and learn all of these hidden secrets so that we can then just transcend our body so that we can escape our, the prison that is our body. And God, his redemption plan and the story of salvation is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than than saying, I want to get you out out of the earth. God has been trying through, God through Jesus has initiated what will come into fulfillment in the future, which is where heaven descends to earth and all things are made new. So when we talk about salvation, Oftentimes you use the language, I got saved. Anybody remember the moment you got saved? I remember the moment I got saved. You remember the moment you say, or maybe people even use, "I, I, I was saved. And I'm not trying to down that language. I'm trying to give us a more holistic picture of what salvation is. Because I got saved is only one third of the story. There is a fuller story than just I was saved. The rest of the story goes I was saved, I am saved, and I will be saved. Pastor uh, often uh, jokes that you're only half saved. I will go even a bit further. We're only a third saved. We got saved. But we got to understand that I am saved presently, and that I will be in the future. Because salvation is an eschatological event. Why am I, I, on week one, I I want us, because everything we're gonna talk about, everything is about this, about the meta-narrative. It's about salvation. So when we have worries, if you will, of am I going to take the mark of the beast, We need to just kind of take a step back and go, this whole thing is about, what is it about? And am I was saved, I am saved, and I am being saved. That salvation is an eschatological event. The narrative of salvation is played out. I'm going to do a a play on on St. Irenaeus' creation incarnation and recreation and our personal salvation looks like this justification I was saved sanctification I am saved into glorification I will be saved. The pastor uses it in the context of you're only half saved to understand that, yeah, like our spirits are saved now, but we have yet. That, that we, to be fully saved is to be fully whole. To be fully saved is to look like the resurrected Christ. When he's resurrected, uh, his body uh, still bears the scars of his humanity, but yet it is completely renewed and transformed. And there's coming a day when uh, this corruptible will put on incorruptible and, and we will be transformed and, and we will still have bodies. We're not going to be disembodied individuals. We're going to have glorified bodies that will be immortal. It's incredible. Unbelievable. Because I was justified. I am sanctified and I will be glorified? What does it mean to be a whole? When I say whole, I mean whole. What does it mean to be a whole human? It means to be justified, to be sanctified, and to, be ho- and, and to see that glorification is in our future. This is the already not yet tension that we find ourselves in. That we are already saved, but we're not yet saved. That we, uh, that salvation is already, but it's not yet. That healing is already, but not yet. Every person that Jesus healed still died. That that we live in the tension of what has already been inaugurated in the kingdom of God through the ministry of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit and the not yet full realization and consummation of that here on the earth. And eschatology is what is happening now, but is also what is yet To be consummated. It is what is happening in our midst, but it's also what is not yet to come. Eschatology is the completion of God's plan for creation, it is the completion of what He has intended. I'm going to give us. Uh, I want to look at um, three views of on eschatology. Three views on eschatology. The first is this, which is consistent eschatology. Now consistent eschatology is all futuristic, meaning nothing has happened yet. Uh, you cannot experience any healing now because it will only happen when Jesus establishes his kingdom and it is all in the future. The second is realized eschatology. This is the idea that the kingdom of God is all right now. And this is as good as it gets. I sure hope not. I love, but don't don't get me wrong. I love my life and I love life. The greatest miracle of all is that when Jesus returns, we get our human life back. What do you mean? Because we get a human life that is not, he's he's taken the seed of Adam and our sinfulness out of us. We're gonna be whole. We have no clue what it is like to have thoughts that are not from our sinful nature. We don't know what it's like to live out of full wholeness. So you've realized that we have what we're talking about here and already not yet, which is inaugurated eschatology. And an inaugurated eschatology understands that the kingdom is already present with us, but it's not yet realized. That the kingdom is with us. It's different than the consistent because the consistent says the kingdom's way out here. Inaugurate understands, no, the kingdom of God is with us. Well, realize eschatology understands it's with us, but it is fully present. And 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 I I know individuals that I have uh, friends that were raised in households that'll that'll say, in essence, like uh, just living in denial that anything is ever wrong with them. Like you're sick. They have a stuffy nose. I don't have a stuffy nose. Not Like you, you have a stuffy nose. Take some Nyquil before you go to bed. No, like I, and and it's like no, the kingdom of like we have lived in this full realized thing. Well, it's just just not the truth. But we live in this inaugurated where. The kingdom of God is present with us. And when we see healings and we see the miraculous and we see signs and we see wonders, it gives us glimpses and it testifies that the kingdom of God is here. But it also testifies that this is just a foretaste of what is to come. That we live in the already kingdom of God, but the not yet that God's reign is already happening. That is yet to come. Following the day of Pentecost, Peter in Acts chapter 2, in essence, he gives a sermon about the already, not yet, inaugurated kingdom of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 18, it says, Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And Peter is articulating that the last days began with the outpouring of the spirit. And now the spirit working in our lives is eschatological proof that the end has begun. See, for Pentecostals, the Spirit has always been the eschatological sign of distinction for us. The Spirit has always been the hermeneutical lens that we look through to see the return of Christ, to understand that we are living in the last days. We're going to talk about uh, that more in, in like week three. We're going to do a whole night on Pentecostal eschatology. And what does it mean to be people of the spirit when it comes to eschatology in the end times? So an inaugurated eschatology is what we're focusing on, in the already, not yet. So these two terms, inaugurated eschatology and already, not yet, you're going to hear me kind of throw those around. So I want to give us a, a framework and a language for what that means when we're talking about it, that the kingdom of God is already present with us, that is already reigning in our midst, but is not yet consummated into the, full, the fullness of what is to come. So now, I'm giving you I'm giving us a lot of stuff. It's just, just a little a little f- framework uh, to work with. Four foci is what that word is. Foci of eschatology. Maybe we say it like that's four dimensions of eschatology. So when we're talking on the idea of eschatology, what are we talking about? Well, the first is there's personal eschatology. Personal eschatology is the resurrection of the body. We are all going to have a personal eschatological experience. Whether we are dead or whether we are living, our bodies will be raised and transformed. Incorruptible will put on incorruptibility. Mortality will put on immortality at the resurrection. The second foci dimension is corporate eschatology. Corporate is when Jesus returns. The return of Christ is a corporate event. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, When the last trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we that still remain will be transformed. It's this, this beautiful, magnificent, grand image of what happens when Christ returns, and it isn't just personal, it's corporate. So there's a corporate nature to our eschatology. But may we not stop there. May may, may we understand that God is not simply trying to save a disembodied humanity, but God is trying to save, not trying to. He is saving his entire creation. So we have personal, corporate, and then we have cosmic, cosmic eschatology. Which is the renewal of creation. When we, um, when we use the word new, I don't have time to dive into it now. Uh, maybe in another week we'll, we'll, we'll do this. But when we use the word new, um, like, we use it in the context that, like, you're giving me some new shoes that, have, that are brand new, that have just been created, never been worn, right? But I want you to the image that I have these like old sneakers on. But God is like, when He says, I'm gonna give you some new sneakers, he's taken these sneakers and he's like making these sneakers new. So when we talk about a new heaven and a new earth, we're not talking like God's just gonna like set the atomic bomb on the earth and just do away with like this earth. But scripture says that this earth is groaning for its liberation, for its uh, part of of redemption, to be freed from the curse of sin and the curse of our disobedience. And there's this cosmic renewal that will be happening. If you're interested, there's a beautiful book uh, called Salvation Means Creation Healed. Um, by Howard Snyder, who I just pulled a, a quote from. There's a beautiful book about uh, understanding uh, the cosmic eschatological impact that's ahead. And then the fourth, may we not think <laughs> that eschatology is all about how God is saving us, but rather there is divine eschatology where relational full, fullness is restored between God and creation and humanity. It's the glorification of God and the consummation of all things. That he will be all in all. He will be our source and our life. There will no longer be a divide between his holiness and our unworthiness. Because he has made his people whole and restored us. Not just restored us, but plan B is even better than plan A. When we say creation, incarnation, and recreation, we're not returning to the Garden of Eden. It's going to be so much better than that. There may be times as we have these classes, I'll sit and I'll ponder thoughts with you. Because I'll tell you, when I, nothing makes me fall more in love with God than some of these thoughts that we're going to be talking through. Nothing is more amazing that we are going to be whole, but still bear in us the scars of our brokenness that testify what Jesus has done for us. And we can't even catch a glimpse of what it's like now because we're still broken, but there's coming a day when we'll be fully restored and whole and we will bear the scars that testify to his victory. It's going to be a glorious time. So we have these four dimensions. That's a better word. I was looking for another word besides foci and I couldn't couldn't think of one <laughs> until we got here. So the four dimensions of eschatology, personal, corporate, cosmic, and divine. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The end of the world is coming soon. This... Uh, Greek word that we get in this section is uh, for for the end is is this Greek word telos, which in this context we we would think that the end of this world we would think uh, the end. Almost how we think of new, that this has to be disseminated so that that we can get something brand new and shiny that's never been touched before. But the word telos, the Greek word telos in this context does not mean termination or expiration. doesn't mean that the end of the world is about to be terminated. It rather means that the telos, the end of the world is coming soon, is the goal to which things Are headed, and it's it's in essence going the the goal, what the end, the 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 race in which we are running when we cross the finish line. It is about to happen the goal that we are that God has set before that we are about to reach is about to happen Howard Snyder says that Peter is in essence saying that we are in the time of the fulfillment we are in the already we, we, we are standing between the already and the not yet as we are headed to the end that we are already experiencing it but there is the goal that is coming that we are about to enter Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10 says God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ which is to fulfill his own good plan and this is what he says and this is the plan this is the telos this is the goal at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Everything personal, everything corporate, everything cosmic, and everything divine. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 20 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Salvation is so much more than just saving our souls. Salvation is God reconciling all things unto himself. So what is the end? What is the telos? Telos. I'm not quite sure. I haven't taken Greek yet. I take it this summer. (laughs) Telos. What is the goal? What is the end? The end is the full reconciliation of all things with God through Christ by the Spirit. The full reconciliation of all things with God through Christ by the Spirit. When we're talking about eschatology, this is the meta narrative that God has written and is writing in our midst. The story that each of our individual lives, should the Lord tarry, we come and go, but God is still using us to write. His sto- right in us, our individual stories, and they're moving it into the meta narrative of the full reconciliation of all things with God through Christ by the Spirit. So, what is being reconciled? What is being saved? Like, what is what is it when Christ is reconciling all things? What is it that is being reconciled? Give us f- real quick. Four points of reconciliation. Identifiable, point, identifiable points of reconciliation. For this, I want to give us a scripture, and we'll see how all four of these points pertain to this scripture. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all the most important place on earth. It'll be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between peoples, will settle disputes between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation or train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace, prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees. For there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of Heaven's armies has made this promise. So what is God reconciled? What is the four points of reconciliation is we're going to be reconciled to God. Ephesians 1:14, The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will, in the future, Give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him to be reconciled with God. The divide between us and God will be permanently closed, but not just reconciled to God, but reconciled to others, living from wholeness instead of brokenness. Micah uh, chapter four, it speaks, it says, everyone will live in peace and prosperity, that there's a day where reconciliation, the family drama that we deal with, the, the hate for people that are not like us will be disappeared and the the, the poison that is sin will be, Drawn out of us. We can live in reconciliation with God and to others. The other point of reconciliation is to ourselves. We talk about the salvation that God is bringing in the eschaton. The life to come is the reconciliation to ourselves that we'll live from wholeness rather than brokenness that the inner conflict that we have with who we are will be gone. And the fourth point of reconciliation is that God will restore us, reconcile us to the earth. Micah 4.4 said, Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees. There'll be nothing to fear. No more poverty, starvation, food issues, because we've been reconciled to the earth. We've been reconciled to God, to others, to ourselves, and to the earth. But I just want to submit to you, and I might be jumping ahead because I can't remember if I put this in my notes or not, but what does it mean to be people? My my, my goal is for us not to come and just learn in this class about eschatology and have good doctrine. All doctrine is meant to transform our heart, transform our life. We're learning about this, that it's not just to gain knowledge because you can have knowledge. The devil has knowledge. The goal is to go. Now that we understand this, what does it mean to live in the already and the not yet tension? That this has already been reconciled through Christ, but not yet consummated. What does the implication mean for our lives to be reconciled to God right now? To be reconciled to others, to be reconciled to ourselves. Be reconciled to the earth. What does it mean for us? What is the implications of that now? So what is the end? Where are we headed? We're headed to what the Jews called shalom. We're headed to the restoration of all things. We're headed from creation, incarnation to recreation. We're headed to salvation. So how do we get there? We're going to wind this down. I mean, it's a rather large topic, but we're going to discuss over the next six weeks, how do we get there? What does it look like from now until then? There's a lot of different views. I'm going I'm to try to... Um, We will talk about our views. We're going to learn about what what do other people think. What does the church believe historically? How do we fit amongst that? But understanding that Christ's first coming began the already, and Christ's second coming will consummate the not yet. And we live here. We live between the two advents. Now, in our tradition, uh, everybody good with this? I'm going to erase this. Does that sound good? Awesome. Speak now or, you know, I guess hold your peace because I'm already erasing, right? (laughs) In our tradition, in Simeon's God tradition, we call one of our 16 fundamental truths is the blessed hope. The blessed hope. And we call the, we say the second coming is our blessed hope. We really, if, if you don't take anything else out of this class, take this that it is not our blessed fear, that the second coming of Christ is our blessed hope. And any eschatology that breeds fear into you regarding the second coming is not from a theology of hope. Is not grounded by the spirit of love and the spirit of truth. Romans 8, through 28 says, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us the second coming of Christ is our blessed hope why because we know what we are being saved into But many, we don't don't understand when we talk about things of eschatology, what we're being saved towards. And we get this idea that God's trying to save us out of issues. But I submit that it's less about being saved out of things and more towards something, towards what God is doing, towards his plan of salvation. So let's read, we're going to read a long piece of scripture. We're actually going to jump around it because I don't, I have time to read the entire thing, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm gonna be honest with you, this is my favorite becoming one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And I think it is probably the most unpreached chapter in the entire Bible. We read it at funerals and by gravesides. I love this. Start reading in verse one through eight. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I have preached to you before. He's saying, this is good news. This is the good news. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Notice, the present saving." The good news doesn't just save us in the past, but this is the good news that saves you in the present if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, Then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Verse 12. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead... Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? Now, I want to submit to you that many today are saying this exact thing with their silence around the future hope of the resurrection of the dead. That by not teaching the fullness of the salvation plan, that we are denying that there will be no resurrection of the dead in the future. Verse 13, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, notice this, then Christ has not been raised either. That's a strong statement. He's going, if it's not going to happen in the future, it didn't happen in the past. So either we believe in the future resurrection or we don't believe in Jesus' resurrection. I mean, that's, a, that's strong If Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. We apostles would all be lying about God, for we've said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope is in Christ is only for this life, we're more pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Notice this. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. That there's the salvation that's to come. The future will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Now move to verse 42. He's referring now to a seed that is planted into the ground and must die before it's resurrect, before it gives new life. He says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, they will be raised to strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. We will someday be like Jesus. That is incredible. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will rise to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Paul's reiterating what he said in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 53, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then still future, this is future salvation. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? So we live in the already reality that death has been defeated, but the not yet consummation, the fulfillment of the scripture when death has been defeated finally in our life. Death is lost. It's already been defeated, but it's not yet been defeated. Does that make sense? (laughs) Because he says, then the scripture will be filled. For sin is the sting that leads, or for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Christ returns, resurrection of the dead will happen. The translation of those that are alive into our new human bodies. So now, I want us to see that we are an eschatological people. We're called to be an eschatological people. This isn't just head knowledge for us to learn and grow about. The Spirit is inviting us into being transformed into people that live in the already and the not yet. That live from the end to the present. You understand what I'm saying there? That we live from the reconciled reality. We live in the reconciliation of all things in right now. That we are pulling, in essence, the not yet in the already <laughs> and we are we are people that are that are reconciling to god right now we're people where we want to reconcile to others right now we want to reconcile to ourselves right now we want to reconcile the earth right now not just waiting and that's people say I want to be transformed now I wanna I wanna allow the spirit to be proof in my life of what is to come the life that is to come you can tell someone's eschatology based off how they live their life. Are we people of fear? Are we people of hope? And it's important to have an accurate view of eschatology and soteriology so that we can have healthy praxis, which is practicing and living our life. That is why I wanted to start with understanding eschatology as salvation, because when we understand the meta narrative of Scripture, it affects how we live. Because faith that does not affect how we live is not faith. We are an eschatological people. We live as people of the spirit from the end, from the future reconciliation of all things. So we must begin to reconcile things now. That's why Jesus says before you take communion or Paul says before you take communion, if you have anything wrong with a brother or a sister, go and ask forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, this is where we end. Paul says all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this message of reconciliation. Our message is the eschatological message. Of salvation. Amen. All right. I went a little long. Week one of last time was long too. It's just a primer. Um, I want to give you, uh, we'll do some Q&A um, in just a moment. We always do this at the end. Um, I want to give you kind of like a, a, a schedule, if you will, of, of the topics and how we're going to approach um, the next six weeks or five weeks, because week one's out the way. Um, uh, ne- next week, we're going to look at uh, four different views on eschatology, and we're going to get so, so, some of you. When you heard eschatology, you're like, "I want to know the dates. You know, I want to. I want to go to 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Anybody remember that book? Uh, you know, like you, you. That you. You're here for the timeline. Um, and so next week, we we'll are look at the four main views, which uh, are amillennialism, premillennialism, dispensationalism, and postmillennialism. We'll give just a basic working framework for what that looks like, uh, what each view articulates, and how each view gets its grounding in Scripture. The week after that, week three, we're going to look at on Pentecostal eschatology. I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to look at how early Pentecostals interpreted uh, the outpouring of the Spirit and understood the second coming in the early 1900s. Then week four, uh, which I'm also excited about this one too, we're gonna look at Judaic eschatology. Like what was the eschatological hope of uh, the early church and the Jews and Jesus's time? Like what what were they looking for? And understanding what they were looking for helps us to understand even uh, what this message means for us. Week five, we're gonna look at historically, historic premillennialism and dive a little more in depth on that specific view um, and then also look at the Assemblies of God, eschatology, and our four of our 16 fundamental truths all deal with eschatology. So a quarter of our fundamental truths deal with eschatology and kind of diving into that a little bit more. In week six, we're gonna be answering the common eschatological questions and um, for instance, will I be left behind, the mark of the beast, seven-year literal tribulation, a secret rapture, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we will be building up to have a biblical, a good biblical working framework for all this. Now, with that, I do. Uh, the schedule is a little is is loose. There's a lot we want to cover. But at the same time, I want to make sure that this course is 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 good for you and so um would there be anything that you would like to cover you would like to see you'd like to hear about talk about us to see what the word of god has to say or does that i try to give like a good like vast overview right Uh, i think doing a week on judaic Eschatology was going to be very helpful, um, and also Pentecostal eschatology. All right, let's do Q and A. Q&A if you have any questions, feel free to. If I've muddied it up, if I've muddied the water really well, um, yeah. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses eighteen through nineteen. The question was. What was the last scripture? And I'm gonna, I'll, I'll reiterate the questions because um, on this, on the, on people that watch, they're always like, oh, yeah, what was the question? It is that, We can. I, you might, I might have opened up a Pandora's box, and you'd been like, what that, what did that one thing mean? And it could go to something else. Like it's mean anything we talked about tonight. And if I feel like something we're gonna cover coming up, we may put a pin in it. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, um, divine divine eschatology was when when everything's reconciled to God. It's 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 the Im- implications of what it means for God. A lot of times we think the implications for us that yay God is we we're now you know it's like uh, it's going to be great for us it's going to be great for us but this is God's plan, and so there are divine implications that apply to Him. It's Brenda. Yeah. I'm just curious, yes, why ma'am. has the church mm-hmm. as a whole, mm-hmm. that's my perspective, why have they not taught on eschatology? <laughs> it's like it's- so So the question is why is the, why does it seem maybe like the church has, has uh, been been quiet on on eschatology? Um one uh so eschatology was massive in uh, the mid to late 1800s. Um, prophetic conferences were, were huge. These prophetic tent meetings were massive. And we'll, we'll talk about Pentecostal theology. We'll see how that kind of plays into a little bit of uh, of our own Pentecostal heritage. And so they were really big um, up until uh, even, and there were, there were these influxes of it. Every generation, uh, what's funny is 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 when you study Pentecostals, every generation feels like uh, that that it's not being preached on enough, or that people are becoming relaxed in it. So then there's usually uh, in a generation a revitalization of uh, eschatology throughout generations. Second century or second generation Pentecostals um, I, I'd have to find the exact name and the quote. Um, but there's this one passage you wrote in a Pentecostal evangel in like the 1920s, 1930s. of like, uh, nobody's preaching on, on the end times anymore. And, um, I, when I think of like my grandparents, I'm like I feel like that was all they, all they talked about. Um, and so, uh, um, so you see these gradual shifts. People talk about it. They don't talk about it. Um, I think, probably in our modern context as to why we don't talk about it is because there's so much um, different information on eschatology. And so, um, and there's a lot of confusion about it. Also, there was a big uh, end times uh, wave in the 70s and the 80s, 80s specifically. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. 80, then that didn't happen, 89 reasons. He's committed in 1989. Well, eventually, you start going, it didn't happen. And then you're going, we don't get our, in the essence, I don't get my hopes up. And we'll talk about the implications of certain eschatological frameworks. And when, I mean, Jesus is pretty clear about uh, n- no man knows the time or the hour. And Jesus goes even far to say, even the son of man doesn't know jesus doesn't know when he's returning only the father it's a pretty fascinating idea but yet we're like consumed with it and jesus already told us like hey don't 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 be consumed about that um and so i i think you know uh so like my you know a lot of people are really fearful because i mean I can't be the only one in here that's like, when they were a kid, you look over and you're like, "Are my dad's clothes on the couch?" You know, like there, there's, we're really like we're scared of it. We're kind of scarred by it. Um, but I, I, I will say that probably, so as, as I'm doing my MDiv, the most, uh, the wild frontier, the most common that that people. Uh, especially Pentecostals feel like reclaim is eschatology. Because as Pentecostals, and we'll talk about this potentially in a couple weeks, um, we uh, started with a very unique eschatology, but because we wanted to fit into fundamentalist frameworks, uh, we then adopted some eschatology that uh, is not true to our. Pentecostalness, if that makes sense, being people of the Spirit. Our hermeneutic that we use to see the end times in eschatology is, is the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit. Joel chapter two, Acts chapter two. Um, there are other frameworks that are hermeneutics, ways you approach Scripture. Um, for instance, uh, dispensationalism, seeing in different there, there are seven dispensations, um, and um, dispensation. There there are vast Varieties of dispensationalism, but the root of it is cessationism. Which cessationism is the belief that the Holy Spirit is not active right now; that we are not in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. He is, He is retracted from the earth. And, and as Pentecostals, we don't, we don't believe that. And so we've maybe hitched our wagons at times to, to think, and because we, because we, we want it's a tough, it's a tough question. I'm trying to get there, right? No, 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 it's great. I'm trying to, it's just, it's really loaded because there's so many reasons. So I think there's revitalization in it. I do think it's a revitalization that is going to correct a lot of misunderstanding. And so my hope is in the next six weeks, even things, all of this is working through my own, um, this class is why I went and got my MDiv. Because I wanted to know, like, I don't want to be scared to read the book of Revelation. That's where it started. And then it turned into, uh, oh, there's so much more here than the book of Revelation. Um, and it's my goal and my hope that we'll be able to, in, in grace, maybe correct some misunderstandings that we have. Um but also to just reignite the conversation as well. Um, a lot of scholars had disengaged. So let me, uh, between, and just the Assemblies of God, this is our context, this is our fellowship. From 1914, we, uh, when the Assemblies of God um, was founded, all the way up until like 1980, I think there was like some, it was a massive number, 700, 800 books written on eschatology. Since 1980, this is 40 years, Gospel Publishing House has produced four. These conversations, there's gonna be times in the next six weeks, you might feel, there, there might be things that maybe challenge some preconceived ideas. And that's my hope. Because we want to be faithful to Scripture, not faithful to just what we think is going to happen, or what Tim LaHaye said was going to happen. Some people know who Tim LaHaye is, right? So we want to be we want to be faithful to the Scriptures. Um, does that does that help answer? Yeah, a little bit. I think so. I, I'm I'm trying. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Uh, you read 1 uh, Corinthians 15. Yes, sir. And said it might be your favorite chapter. It's beautiful. Is, is it because it? it's almost proof that it, Christ, we know Christ rose from the dead, so we are going to? Why is it? Can you sum up why it's your favorite chapter? You know, um, so I, it really, uh, maybe I, this time last year, the Lord was really like working on me. What does it mean to be human? And um, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And as he walks the earth, he doesn't just show us what what it means, um, what what God is like, but he shows us what it means to be fully human. That he's not just living his life as simply God walking the earth, but he's walking his life as what it means to be a human that is whole. And I've been, I love this idea. There's this, Idea that Jesus—it's uh, called an anthropony. He's a revelation of humanity. I love that. Well, in in December, uh, my mom's dad uh, died, and uh, died f- just uh, and and he's never been a man of of poignant faith. You know, he's never been a man uh, because I'll be honest with you, uh, it the idea of dying and going to heaven and singing praise music for the rest of his life, he would just choose not to follow Jesus. <laughs> it's just, it's not ad, 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 ad advertising to him. And um, so, but I've never met anybody ever that loved life more than my grandfather. He was a major in the army, uh, he flew helicopters in Vietnam Um, he traveled the world. I mean, last year of his life, they went on a three-week trip to Europe and every picture on his phone is a picture of food and them eating food and going to new places and trying all these new things. And he loved life. And I was able to sit with him on his deathbed um, and have a conversation of what is next and look at him and say, Jesus came to give you your human life back. That, that, In many ways, he has lived what it means. He's honored God with his love for life more than many Christians ever did. And he is a Christian. I'm not, not saying he wasn't a Christian. I'm talking about people that, you know, we go to church every week and we we serve and we we, like, it's the Kool-Aid we drink, you know? And so in that moment, 1 Corinthians 15 became real for me because it became real for real for him. So I've been thinking on that a lot. been thinking on that a lot. Yes, sir. You mentioned about the goal of, um, of the eschatology as far as your teaching, like what you hope to achieve. Yeah. The ultimate goal is that it won't just be something that we gain head knowledge from, but be something that actually, when we think about it, it brings us to tears. It'd be something that when we think about, you know, we, we all have the moment we can think we got saved. We think of that amazing moment where God redeemed us, met us, and I can look back at these moments of encounter in my life and I think of how God saved me and I, I, I cry. But when I think about what I'm being saved to, I want it to do the same. And we might have. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm going. Um, and I'm going to present. Um, A view when we do the timelines on that—that is faithful to our tradition, the assemblies of God. And if you grew up Methodist or you grew up Lutheran or Presbyterian um, or Catholic or anything like that, you're gonna there's you'll see all these different four, and you're gonna see in our modern context a hodgepodge of these four different frameworks. And if 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 you walk away from this, the goal is not for me to uh, there is a, a, a catechismic. For the for the Catholics uh, past the catechisms, which is where you're being trained into the faith, there is a catechismic way that I'm trying to I'm trying to teach you, and teach us a faithful way of Scripture, but at the same time, the goal is not sameness. The goal um, I'm not trying to get us all to believe on the exact same point. I'm trying to get us to understand the diversity of opinions as well. So you might walk away and say, "Yeah, I don't think you're right on the mark of the beast," and that's okay. <laughs> you don't have to think I'm right. That's guess not my goal. My goal is to present you a very faithful reading of Scripture and a historic reading of Scripture, not only in our Pentecostal faith, but how Scripture's been read for two thousand years. Amen. Awesome. Let's. Uh, I apologize. It is an hour and a half. Typically, I will lecture for about 50 minutes to 60 minutes, and then we'll have 15 minutes QA. Q&A. That, and we'll be out by 7.15 each week, but amen. Hey, let me pray over you. God bless us, keep us, sustain us. May we, God, reflect on what it means that we've been saved, that we are being saved, and the salvation yet to come. Let it transform our life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Bless you. Have a great night. Podcast will be up on Tuesday if you want to go back and re-listen or re-watch anything. And my notes as well. So if you don't know, I put all of my notes on the website so you can see what I see, if that's helpful.